The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Happy New Year, Story City Church. How are we? Good. Well, if you're new here, um, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at Story City. I have the privilege of uh, preaching for us this morning. Um, You know, if you're new here at Story City, you just heard from Pastor Matt, but we exist for one reason and one reason only, and that is to lift up the name of Jesus and put him forward as the pathway to life. And so as we enter into a sermon here uh, in, in the new year, um, I just want to lay my cards on the table before you this morning and say the thing that God's been doing in my heart in a really strong way lately is pushing me to trust him and trust in Christ in a more significant way and almost a way that feels more risky and scary at times. And so the thing that's on my heart for us this morning as a church in the new year is that we would become a church that trusts in Jesus in more significant ways. And that means if you're here in the new year and church isn't really your thing, but you're just here checking out church because you want to try something new in the new year, maybe get a fresh start in something, I'm just laying my cards on the table. What I'm going to push us towards this morning and push you towards this morning is trusting in Jesus, not only for the salvation of your soul, but for the fullness of life before eternity. And if you're a church person and you're here this morning, what I'm going to push us towards this morning Through the word of God, uh, what I hope to do is push us to trust God in more significant ways, in more scary ways, in in ways that allow him to do things that only he can explain. And so um, let me pray for us, and we will do just that. Father, uh, thank you for another year of life. Um, Father, uh, we have all hopefully on some level been paying attention to the news lately, and we know that the world feels like it may be destabilizing, and there's rumors of war, and we know... Um, the cultural tensions we live within, and we know the things that go on in our own lives with sickness and money problems and all sorts of things, God, that we look for a refuge in, that we look for security in, that we look for a place to go where we can know it's just going to be okay. And so this morning, Jesus, my heart needs to know that you are that rock, that you are that refuge. And I believe that our church needs to know and remember that in more significant ways than ever. And so Jesus, be our rock this morning. Put yourself forward as our refuge. And as we enter into 2020, Jesus, would you be just that. It's in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. We'll be there all morning, but I'll just give you a fair warning. We're gonna bounce around a lot this morning, so I've done my best to um, put the scriptures on the screen for us. But we'll be rooted in Matthew 7, 24. And it says this. Jesus speaks and he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. Jesus starts this this, this passage in verse 24 saying that everyone who hears his words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house not on sand, but on a firm foundation, on a rock. And so where I want to start this morning, Jesus shows us in this passage that there's two primary ways that we all are called to engage his word. If you are a believer in Jesus, there are two primary ways that you are called to engage with his word. The first is hearing. We are called to hear the word. Romans would tell us that we cannot believe unless we have heard the word of God. 
But the second is practice. It's doing. See, when we only hear the word of God, we become like a river that feeds into a lake that becomes a swamp because it has no outlet. When we accumulate hearing, uh, one pastor, Francis Chan, says if we're constantly hearing the word of God but not doing what it says, he says we're actually, in a way, heaping condemnation on ourselves because we're held accountable for what we know. And if we know and learn and continue to hear the word of God but never actually act on it, we actually are putting ourselves in a place of spiritual danger. And so we must become doers of the word, not just hearers only. We must begin to practice the word of God if we are going to build our house on the rock. James 1.22 puts it simply, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. There's a doing involved in the Christian life. And we'll get into what that looks like and what it doesn't look like. But I just want to start here really, really briefly. There are a few dangers because I, I'm a millennial, barely. I made the cut. Um, and, uh, and millennials, I believe we are a podcasted, podcast-addicted generation. Uh, I had a friend recently say to me, hey, man, we should start a podcast. And I, I, I thought about it briefly, and I said, nah, I don't think the world needs another podcast. And I don't know if anyone really wants to listen to what I have to say anyways. Um, but I think there are some dangers in being a podcast-addicted generation. I think sermon podcasts for the Christian can easily become a substitution for a time in the Word. Whereas we don't actually go to the word of God abiding in the lifeblood of Jesus Christ that he gave to us in the word, but we substitute in podcasts. I didn't do a Bible study today, but I did listen to a podcast while I was driving down I-5. Different. Another thing that the podcast can become, they can become a form of self-medication for guilt. Like, man, I screwed up last night. What can I do today to make myself feel a little better? I know, I'll put on a Christian podcast, and when I'm done with that Christian podcast, I won't feel quite as bad about, rather than turning to Christ for his grace, we turn to podcasts. Another thing podcasts can become, entertainment. I just go to a Christian podcast just because it's fun to learn. It's fun to hear about the Bible in different ways. Um, Another one, and this is really the root of it, I think podcasts can easily for the Christian become informational but not formational. They become informational where I'm accumulating knowledge, but they are in no way forming me. They are in no way changing the direction and course of my walk with Christ. Even podcasts can become a substitution for church itself. I don't need to go to church this morning. I'm going to put on a podcast. Now, hear me. Podcasts are not a moral evil. They're a moral neutral. But when they begin to substitute these things, they become a moral evil in our lives functionally. So I want to say this this morning. If we're going to become doers of the word, how does that happen in our lives? How do we become not just hearers, but doers of the word so that we become wise men who are building our lives not on sand, but on rock? Wise men and women who are building our lives not on sand, but on rock. The pathway to the practice of God's word in our lives is the presence of God's word in our souls. The pathway to the practice of God's word in our lives is the practice of God's word in our souls. Our Bibles must go from shelf to lap to heart to hands. Our Bibles must go from shelf to lap to heart to hands. It's a process. They don't jump from shelf to action. They don't jump from lap to action. God's word must get into our heart. We must dwell on it richly. The book of uh, Colossians would tell us to let the word of God dwell in our hearts richly. That happens through time in the word of God. That happens through commitment to the word of God. That happens by reprioritizing our lives and putting the word of God at a central position. 
The pathway to the practice of God's word in our lives is the presence of God's word in our lives. If you want to become a doer of the word, you must hear the word consistently. If you want to become a hearer of the word, you must learn to do, you must reverse that. If you want to become a doer of the word, you must learn to hear the word consistently. Let's go back to verse 24 real quick. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What is wisdom? What makes a man or woman wise? Well, as most evangelicals do, let's go to Tim Keller for the answer. (laughs) Tim Keller says this, wisdom is competence with regard to the complex realities of life. Wisdom is competence with regard to the complex realities of life. Wisdom is the way to answer the hard questions of life that there aren't explicit answers to, not a chapter and verse for this answer. Jesus, who should I marry? Father, should I buy this car? Father, should I go or stay? Father, should I move to this city or stay at home? All these questions, millions we face throughout the course of our life, complex realities, answering them in a way that honors God and leads to human flourishing. Proverbs 9.10 would tell us this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where does wisdom start? It starts in fearing the Lord. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What is fear of the Lord? What does that mean? We've talked about the Summit Story City. The fear of the Lord is simply this. It's not being scared of God alone. It's an awe and reverence at who he is. It's looking at his majesty and standing in awe and filling our lives with a reverence and a regard for who he is. If we flip this verse on its head, it would say this. Disregard for the Lord is the end of wisdom. Ignorance of the Holy One is misunderstanding. I thought about changing it to this. The fear of man is the end of wisdom. The fear of man is the end of wisdom. Proverbs 14, 12, hitting on this scene, would say this. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. This means this. There's a way that we look at with our human faculties, our human reasoning, our human minds and hearts and eyes, and we look at it and go, that looks like a good way to go. That's going to lead me towards life. But the end of it is actually death and pain. So that means this. There are all sorts of people in this room right now and in Los Angeles right now that believe they are pursuing things that are going to lead to flourishing, going to lead to happiness, going to lead to life. And yet the end of those things is what Jesus would call in our passage today a great fall, pain. That's why Jesus called himself in John 14, 6, the way. The early followers of Jesus in the book of Acts before they started calling themselves Christians called themselves follower of the way, Jesus. He calls himself the way. He's the way towards life. He's the path to freedom. He's the path to joy and happiness and blessedness. So the question of wisdom is this, if there's a way that seems right, but then the end leads to death. How do we become the kind of people who don't hurt ourselves trying to please ourselves? How do we become the kind of people who don't hurt ourselves trying to please ourselves? John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus gives us his intentions here. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you believe this morning that Jesus' intentions for your life are good? Do you believe this morning that Jesus' intentions for your life are to lead you into the fullness of joy, that he's not trying to take anything from you, but he's trying to give everything to you? Jesus longs, listen to me, he longs to give us his life, so much so that he gave us his life. 
Luke 19, a verse that precedes where Jesus goes in, a familiar verse, this is a passage that precedes Jesus going in and cleansing the temple. It's less familiar and less memorized, but it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus, weeping over Jerusalem, weeping, tears, I want to give you life. If you'd only known what makes for peace, you're chasing the wrong things, Jerusalem. Here I am, life with you, and you've missed me. See, the chief lie that the enemy and our sinful hearts preach to us daily is that God does not intend to give us what's best, but rather shield us from it. It's the chief lie. It's the original lie. It's the lie he's been telling from the beginning of time since the dawn. Genesis 3, chapter, verses 2 and 5, quickly. The woman said to the serpent there in the Garden of Eden, we may, eat the tru- we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And then the serpent says, you will not surely certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What did the serpent just say to Eve? He said, Eve, God's holding out on you. He knows that if you take this thing he's told you not to take, that good will flow into your life that you're not now receiving. So walk away from God, recognize that he's trying to keep things from you, and turn to your own initiatives, to your own plans that I'm showing you are better for you. From the beginning, the lie of the serpent was the lie that opened the floodgates of the fall. With all its death and all its devastation flowing into the Garden of Eden, it turned fertile soil into thorny dust. It birthed death from life, and it traded peace with God and man for hiding in fear. It's the same lie that does it in our lives today. Now, church, hear me here. When God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. And when God says do, he's saying do yourself a favor. When God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. I made the rules. I invented the world. I'm the author. I know what makes for flourishing. I know what makes for peace. I know what makes for joy. Don't do things that are going to hurt yourself. Turn to me. And when I give you instructions, I'm giving you the instruction manual for how this piece of furniture is actually put together so that you don't build it wrong. When I say do, I'm saying do yourself a favor. C.S. Lewis said this, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. So simply, as we move on from this idea of what wisdom is and how we become wise people, wisdom is learning to cast our full weight upon God and his words. Let's go back to verse 24. One more time. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. He says he's not just like a wise man, but he's a wise man. He's building a house, and there is a rock, and he's building it on a firm foundation, the rock. So let's ask a question here. What is the rock? 
What is the rock that Jesus is pointing his, his listeners to and us to today through his word to build upon? Well, the question would be more appropriately asked, not what is the rock, but who is the rock? See, the rock is Christ himself. Christ is the rock that he's telling us to build our lives upon. Christ as the rock is a major biblical theme. It is throughout scripture. In Exodus 33, we see it. In Exodus 17, we see it. In 1 Kings 19, we see it. In Psalm 118, Jesus, David prays to God, his rock. Jesus refers to himself as the rock. In Matthew 21, 42, we read that Jesus is the rock in 1 Peter 2, 7. It's elaborated by Paul in Romans 9, 30, and 33. And in Acts 4, 11, Paul refers to Jesus explicitly as to rock. There are prayers of Christ as the rock in Psalm 18 and Psalm 61. Christ is the rock. So I want to do a I want to frame my, the rest of the next 15, 20 minutes before I'm done through two, uh, two statements about the benefits of building our lives upon the rock that is Christ. Two sweet, wonderful, promised benefits that are ours when we build our lives on the rock that is Christ. The first is this reconciliation to God. The Bible would tell us that before we come to faith in Christ, before we start building this house on Christ, we're all building on sand. But when we come to Christ and put our faith in him, we are transferred to building our hope and our life on a rock that will never be moved, Christ himself. This is called what theologians would call justification. We've preached on it a lot here. But I want to take just a minute to show us that Christ is the rock in scripture, a little bit more unique. And I just think these are some, the Bible is cool moments. So I'm going to backtrack to the Old Testament quickly before we move forward to Exodus 33, verses 18 through 23. First, they'll be on the screen. Moses, in this verse, hides in the cleft of a rock. And we'll see our justification, our forgiveness, and reconciliation to God hidden in these passages. Verse 18, then Moses said, now show me your glory. Moses is asking God to show him his glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a, in, in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face not be seen. So God says to Moses, I'm going to pass in front of you. You can't see my full glory because it will disintegrate you because I'm awesome, and you're not. So here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to hide you in a rock, and I'll pass by. And once I pass by, you can look at the back of me because I'm that glorious. See, we see the gospel in this. This is a foreshadowing of Christ who will become our rock. Just like the cleft of the rock where Moses hid, on the cross, Jesus protected us by receiving the full force of God's justice as he passed by, that we might receive only his grace and mercy and look upon him freely. Find Christ the rock. Let's do one more. Uh, Exodus 17. Moses strikes a rock. The whole Israelite community, this is Exodus 17, one through six, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? 
But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Side note, if you've ever been so thirsty that you're ready to stone someone for water, you're really, really thirsty. (laughs) Then the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Listen here. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders. Here we see this. Moses takes his rod and he strikes a rock in the wilderness. And what happens? That rock is transformed into a fountain to satisfy the thirst of the Israelites. The rock takes a beating. It takes a hit and becomes a life source for others. Do you see Christ in this? The rock that climbed up on the cross was struck with the rod of God's just wrath towards evil and sin. See, God could not be a good God if he was not just towards evil. And so God pours his justice, his wrath out on the rock, Jesus Christ, who is struck by the rod of God's wrath and in turn becomes a fountain for our spiritual thirst in turn becomes a fountain of life for us where we can be satisfied. See, Christ is the rock that was struck for our forgiveness. Do you see it? There's another one I was going to do, but I'm going to go over, so I'm not going to do it. But if you want to check it out, it's in 1 Kings 19 where Elijah hides in a cave, and the cave is broken. I'm kind of doing it now. The cave is broken (laughs) by the wind, and it's shattered, but Elijah only gets a whisper. It's really cool. But Christ throughout the scriptures is our rock, and we have to understand this. One of the chief benefits, I would say, of building your house on the rock is this. Right now, you may not feel the reality of it. You may be living under a sense of false condemnation. You may be living in fear. You may be living in shame. You may be stuck in a sin that God is patiently walking with you and will lead you out of by his good grace in your life. But hear me now. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are eternally reconciled to the Father. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are known. You are welcomed. And you are his. Period has nothing to do with what you've done or not done. It has everything to do with what he has done and will do. It is about Christ. It is finished. You are his. Happy New Year. (laughs) It's good news. The second benefit, the first benefit is, is reconciliation to God when you build your life on the rock. The second benefit is conformity to Christ. And you may read that and go, well, what is... All right, pastor, I'm trying to find the benefit in this, but let's, let's flesh it out a little bit. Conformity to Christ is a, a biblical term called sanctification. It's God actually making us who he's already declared us to be. So if you are in Christ, if you're building on the rock, you are forgiven, you're all welcome, you're all those things we just talked about. But not only that, you will be conformed through the long period of your life until your heart stops beating and you step into eternity more and more incrementally through ups and downs into the image of Christ himself. See, God's initiative in your life, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, is to make you like Christ, period. And it is every but bit as much explicit and implicit in the Christian walk as justification. Hear me. If you have been justified, you are being sanctified, period. It's being done, and you will be sanctified because it's God's initiative in your life. Philippians 1.6 would tell us that he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 2 verse 13 would tell us that God's work in your life 
is sanctification, that he is working his power in and through you. Let's look at verse seven, chapter 7, verse 25 in Matthew. Back to our text. We'll finally move on from verse 24. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house that was built on the rock. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. So a couple of things we can notice here in this verse. The first is this. The wise and the foolish man alike endure a storm. Being wise does not mean you get to avoid storms altogether. See, there is a strand of teaching in Christianity today called the prosperity gospel that would tell you that when you come to Christ, God's initiative in your life becomes the initiative to keep you from all suffering, to shield you from any pain, and to fill your life with riches and health. And if you're not experiencing that, it's because you're doing something wrong. This is a sick form of teaching that leads to shame and guilt and fear or pride. One of the, it's not the gospel. The problem with the prosperity gospel is that it's foolish and incoherent with the Bible and the universally experienced realities of life in this world. Hear me, Christ did not save you to keep you from pain. He saved you to bring you to himself and lead you through it hand in hand. He will be with you through it. So when we realize life is full of pain and suffering, when we recognize that, the life, that this life isn't always easy, we consciously or unwittingly do what I, I, I kind of coined in my head this week as I was preparing, we go rock hunting. It's like life isn't lining up right now. It doesn't, this doesn't feel good. Some things are hurting. There's some, sting, there's some things that sting in my life right now. You know what I'm going to do? Subconsciously or consciously, I'm going to go rock hunting. I'm going to go find some security. I'm going to go find some identity. I'm going to go find some pleasure. I'm going to go find something that numbs me to the reality of the pain in my life. I'm going to go find a place to build my house. I'm going to go find some stability. I'm going to find a rock. I'm going to go rock hunting. You don't have to go far to see people rock hunting today. The first one that came to mind for me, uh, I see people rock hunting all the time, uh, even though my wife has made me delete my uh, social media through politics and politicians. I see people rock hunting in politics. I want to ask this question gently and pastorally this morning. Why are politics such a sensitive subject for so many people? It's because as people, for good or bad, tie their vision of human flourishing to particular policies. People, for good or bad, tie their vision of human flourishing to particular policies. So to question those politics, to critique that overarching vision, leads to anxiety. It leads to anxiety. Why? Because political rocks haven't just become a thing in their life that they look to, but they've become a rock, a thing they're placing their ultimate foundation on. We all contend to do this. So it's not to say that there's not a place for politics. It's not to say they're not important. It's not to say that we should educate ourselves and have opinions. But I want to say this pastorally and carefully to us this morning. If we can no longer disagree agreeably about politics, it may have become a rock in our life substituting Christ. We need to learn to disagree agreeably and be able to have conversations. Comfort and security is another uh, rock I see. The accumulation of wealth. I feel secure. I feel safe. I feel worth something because I'm accumulating wealth. Romance and family is a rock in people's lives, a place they turn to for identity, for meaning. Um, I had a meeting recently with a a guy uh, at a coffee shop in town who his wife was leaving him uh, and divorcing him, and his daughter wouldn't talk to him. And, and this guy didn't know the Lord. Uh, and he sat across the table from me, and he wanted help. And by the end of the conversation, I just looked at him, and I said, you need to stop trusting in your family. You need to acknowledge your inability to control these relationships and turn to Christ for help. And he looked at me, and he said, if I don't have my wife, and I don't have my daughter, 
I don't know who I am. I don't need God. I need people who can help. And he got up and walked out. And I, I just sat there for a few minutes after he left, and I thought, you know what, Lord, I, I feel like I was faithful in this situation, but I just looked at a guy who was trusting and building his life on rocks that were sand. And they were failing him, and he wasn't to the end of himself yet. See, Jesus calls these kind of rocks sand for a reason. Sand is small. Sand is insignificant. Sand is unstable. See, when we search for stability and significance in anything other than Jesus, for all of our rock hunting, all we end up with is a fistful of sand that slips right through, that cannot support the weight of our lives. You end up with a life built on sand if you are trusting in anything but Jesus. Verse 26 and 27, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What kind of crash? Was it a a gentle fall? (laughs) It was a great crash. When we build our lives on things other than Christ, the fall is great. It's coming. See, these, these things in our lives that we try to build our lives upon, politics, comfort, romance, entertainment, career, and social influence, whatever they are, they may provide some form of security for a season. They may provide some sort of relief for a season, but the day is coming when they crumble, when the waves and the waters rise and they crumble out from beneath our feet. At the end of the day, all any of us have is Christ, and the wise will learn to turn to him now for their ultimate security. If your life is built on any other rock than Christ, you're heading for a great fall. In contrast, some good news. I want to list some promises of God for us who are in Christ when we face storms that are inevitably going to come, when the waves rise. I'm just going to give us four. There's more. The first promise of God in the storms of life is this, that he will be with us through the storm until it passes. God will be with us in the storm until it passes. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I wish that said, when you get to the river, I'm going to build you a boat and you can just get in it and sail across without getting wet. When you get to the fire, bring a hose. It'll be good. That's not what it says. It says, look, you're going to go through rivers in life. You're going to walk through fire in life. But hear me, it's not going to overwhelm you. It's not going to take you down. I will be with you in that storm. That's a promise of God for our comfort. The second promise of God in our storms is that he will use the storms of this life for our good. He will use the storms of this life for our good. This pulls us out beyond ourselves. There's certain things that happen this side of eternity that we look at and go, I don't understand how in the world that could be used for good. That is evil. That is a disaster. That is wrong. How could you, to say it would be turned for good almost seems careless. It almost seems reckless. It almost seems rude. Do you know what I've been through? But hear me. I don't understand it, but I trust the word of God and an infinite God who stands outside of us with a view much more significant and beyond our own looks at those situations and he says, if you could see what I see, if you had eternity beginning and end, beyond beginning and end in view like I have, you'll see the good that's gonna come from this in eternity. It's a promise of God. Thirdly, the storms of this life will make us more like Jesus. The storms of this life will make us more like Jesus. They will conform us to Christ. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Lastly, the storms of this life are accruing for us eternal wealth. 
They're accruing for us eternal wealth. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The promise of God for our suffering in this life is this, that when we suffer, our sufferings refine us. Um, I like to go to the beach. We live in Los Angeles. There's not a lot of it here in Los Angeles, but one of my favorite things to find at the beach is a thing called sea glass. Uh, and if you know what sea glass is, um, it's these stones you find on the beach that are beautiful and round and uh, pristine and clear. Um, but I, I recently heard uh, what sea glass actually starts as. Um, sea glass actually begins its journey as broken pieces of ragged and jagged glass lost at sea. So bottles will be broken on ships, uh, mirrors, things like this will be broken on ships at sea or thrown in at the shore. And for years and decades and decades, this glass is tossed around in the waves at sea. Through storm after storm after storm, through crashing saltwater wave and being beaten against rock, over the long period of time at sea, this glass is refined and smoothed and sharpened. And the storm actually takes this glass and turns it into something beautiful. That's a picture of sanctification. That's a picture of what God is doing in your life and mine. He brings storms into our life, but when our house is built upon the rock that is Christ, those storms only serve to refine us and make us more like Christ and make us more beautiful in the end. So rest assured knowing this morning, Christian, that you are being made into the image of Christ if you're in Christ. And where I wanna land the plane this morning as we head out into 2020 together as a church is to simply say, it's very easy to read a passage like this and go, this is good, this is right, this is true. 2020, I'm building on the rock and I'm gonna go do it in my own strength. I'm gonna make sure. But hear me, that's good. I want that initiative in our hearts to push towards Christ, to volitionally pursue him. But at the end of the day, we need to understand that this is the work of Christ in us, first and foremost. I wanna close with a quote. C.S. Lewis says this, the real son of God is at your side. He's there. He's beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He's beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought, his Zoe life into you. Beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. The part of you that does not like it is the part that is still tin. Christ is with you. He is at your side. You are on the rock. And if you're not on the rock this morning, if you hear me preach this and you go, I'm, I'm feeling the frailty, I'm feeling the sand, I, my life is crumbling out beneath me and the waves are coming and I'm scared, my head is going under and I'm not sure how much longer I'm gonna last. Hear me this morning, turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Recognize that the things of this earth are dim and fading and Christ is the reality. And turn to him by faith. And if you're in Christ, rest in him and let's build on Christ the rock this year. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that it does not return void, that regardless of how good or bad I followed my outline this morning, that your word is a lion, that your gospel is true and powerful. So Father, if there are people in this room right now that don't know you, that have lives built on sand, would you move by your spirit and convict and encourage them to faith in Christ and to turn Lord, be with us this morning in all these things. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.